Welcome to the Final Draft Great Conversations podcast. Today's Great Conversation is with Andy Muir. Andy's a screenwriter and novelist with credits including Neighbours, Home and Away and the Underbelly series. His debut novel, Something for Nothing, was nominated for a Ned Kelly Award and in today's Great Conversation, Andy is discussing his latest novel, Hiding to Nothing. I'm Andrew Popel and every week I broadcast Final Draft from the studios of 2SER in Sydney. Final Draft explores the best of Australia's books, writing and literary culture. Each week, we're joined by an Australian writer to explore their latest work and delve deep into the issues of the day. The Great Conversations podcast is a chance to hear more of the discussion and dive deeper into the books that you love. Now, I'm always looking for ways to get the word out to more book lovers, so share this with your book-loving friends and continue the discussion together. When you hit subscribe, you'll get a new episode every week, sometimes two. You'll have a new friend to share the books with, and if you are loving this show, give us a rating. It's a great way for other people around the world to discover Australia's great writing. Now, Lockie Monroe is a humble painter from Newcastle. He's the sort of bloke a politician might call a battler. That is, until they figure out what he's been up to, and then they're either going to distance themselves or go into business with him. Hiding to Nothing pitches the reader into the seedy world of Newcastle crime and the sweaty world of Newcastle painting during one hot summer. Because Lockie wants to play it straight, but somehow he's constantly being dragged into the dodgier side of life. I'm joined in the studio by Andy Muir. Andy is a screenwriter and novelist with credits that include Neighbours and Home and Away. He was nominated for an Australian Writers Guild Award for his work on the Underbelly series, and Andy's debut novel, Something for Nothing, was nominated for a Ned Kelly Award. Something for Nothing is also where we meet Lockie Munro, a humble painter from Newcastle, the sort of bloke a politician might call a battler. That is, until they figure out what he's been up to, and then they'd either distance themselves or go into business with him. Now, when we rejoin Lockie at the beginning of Hiding to Nothing, he's got a sawn-off shotgun pointed to his face, and who knew, but he'd come to miss those halcyon days. Andy, welcome. Thank you for joining me. Oh, thank you, Andrew. It's an exciting start for Lockie. Not, not exciting, exciting. <laughs> and he actually has, has memories of it. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't seem like a bad guy, but from, from the milk bar to the pub and down to the beach, he never seems too far from trouble. Is this literary license you're taking here, or is that actually just a feature of our society that we're ignoring, all this trouble uh, everywhere? Well, I think, you know, Lockie sort of came about because, you know, through the Underbelly series, um, I kind of developed this theory that there are two types of criminals. There's the career criminal that's done it all their life, and this is the only thing that they've known. They've probably come from a, you know, a crime family and worked their way up with apprentices and apprenticeships and that sort of thing. Or there's the person that's made a bad mistake and just got in over their head very, very quickly in, um, you know, mixing with bad people and bad things. And so Lockie is someone who kind of falls in the middle. Like he's, mm. he does have a, um, a, a father who's a, a career crook, but his mother tried to keep him well away from it. And unfortunately, you know, Lockie just seems to gravitate to the shadier side of life. So you'd consider him a criminal because he goes to pains throughout and pulls his hair out at the idea that people just seem to think he's dodgy. Yeah. And he doesn't have that. He's a painter. That's right. He's a house painter. And um, he's, you know, he's just trying to make ends meet. You know, it's very difficult to make a, uh, an honest dollar. Mm. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I don't really see him as a criminal. You know, in the eyes of the law, he would definitely be a criminal. Like, he knows things that are happening. He's aware of crimes. He's aware of criminals. So, you know, if you want to be, you know, 
categoric, yes, he's a crook. But that, he doesn't see himself that way. That's an interesting one, though, because I think anyone with a driver's license has nudged over the speed limit occasionally. We... We all live in that grey area, but, you know, as a painter in gentrifying Newcastle, Lockie's got plenty of work, but then the, the grey area sucks him in. Um, he's as wary, though, as of the criminal sort of syndicates that seem like they're about to go to war as he is of the police, and he just can't avoid brushing against them both. Is it is it that middle ground that attracts you, that, that person who isn't really on either side? Yeah, it is. I'm, I'm interested in people who are outsiders, um, they don't really fit. I'm not. Um, I've never really been attracted to you know the uh, a, a police procedural type story. <clears throat> um, they're interesting up to a point, but you know at the end of the day, like cops have to follow rules and they have to follow procedure, and they can't deviate otherwise they get into trouble. So someone who's outside of that, like a private eye, or even someone like Lockie, like they get to break the rules. They get to kind of do things that you're not really allowed to do to kind of find the answers that they need. I imagine you have to have a deft hand, though, because, I mean, if you think about the the white hat sort of police procedural where we know who the hero is supposed to be, often a lot of the tension comes in them being pushed and breaking the rule. We know that that's going to be a narrative turning point. Lockie, I guess, in theory, can choose that at any time. What what comes into your craft then? Well, really, what it is, is the choices Lockie makes, I want you to be going, no, don't make that choice. That's the sort of the drama for me. It's the sort of, and then it's like, well, now he's in more trouble. How's he going to get out of it? Mm-hmm. Um, and so tr- trying to avoid a situation where at any point the character can walk away from, that's kind of where the, the, the trick is. Ah, so the reader becomes the annoying, omniscient big brother. That's right. <laughs> we just like, <laughs> shouldn't do that. Yeah. So I noticed the, the, the Sydney-Newcastle tension that's evoked in the book. I was, and I was definitely struck by that different vibe um, you have for the coal capital. Like, for starters, I don't remember the last time I saw a proper milk bar. Uh, what's special to you about Newcastle and what opportunities does that city provide for you as a writer? Look, it's just, it's a new landscape. Um, I, you know, the, the original sort of kernel of the ideas for the, the Lockie books was, um, it was going to be in Melbourne. And, um, you know, I've been kicking it around for years and it never really worked. Uh, and then I went up to the Newcastle Writers' Festival for with Underbelly Squizzy. And I just fell in love with the city. Mm. Like, here's this city. It's a port. It's got fantastic beaches. It's got old architecture. It's got new architecture. It's got this, you know, there's a resistance to it, but there is a criminal element underneath it all, like they, a historical um, you know, underworld to, to Newcastle. Plus, you've got, you know, the beach and the hill, uh, sorry, the um, the bush and the hills just around the corner. So everything is really close and compact. Um, and it's just a really sort of, I find it a really dynamic and exciting place. Yeah, I guess there's a darkness to it as well. I mean, if people think about criminality and and Newcastle, they're thinking about m- perhaps much more shocking, horrific stories than we're seeing in Hiding to Nothing and, and, and less organised. We're, we're sort of on the fringes of, of the most organised of organised crime here. Yeah, that's right. Um, but, you know, every port has a thriving criminal class. And so Newcastle being a, a port city, uh, you know, there's that that element. Um, and so you can kind of go there and look at it and go, well, here's this sunny, lovely place, just like Sydney. You come here and you think, you know, it's, you know, blue skies and sunny and lovely. And then there's this, you know, King's Cross element that, you know, it's kind of dying down, but it's still there. Um, and that's kind of what 
I found in Newcastle. Don't worry, we've got the boomers working on that. They're going <laughs> to they're going to noise complaint the criminal element out of the cross if it kills them. Yeah. Um, so of course, any any port opens a city up to the world, and there's a there's a tor- turf war brewing in Newcastle, or at least in hiding to nothing. Yeah. The new players they want a piece of the action, and everyone in Lockie's world is getting dragged in. So. This also makes for this dual economy that sort of feeds all the behaviours in Hiding to Nothing. So I could just play it black and white. We could just say that criminality is wrong. But Maxie, who is the apprentice painter, and I want to talk more about Maxie, but Maxie tells (laughs) us... Everybody loves Maxie. (laughs) No one can survive on an apprentice wage, Maxie tells Lockie. So how far do you think things like economic disparities drive behaviour in... Hiding to nothing, but I guess in the lucky country, there is so much that is just quintessentially Australian here. Yeah, look, I, it's a big part of it. I um, I think that that's something that I've been exploring with Lockie and his and his painting mates is that um, there is this, this disparity. And as a house painter, and I, I worked for a house painter for a short period, um, and you you go into these fantastic houses and you sort of paint their walls and their ceilings and you know, you're kind of confronted with this other life. Um, and so if you don't have the means and the income, you know, how do you kind of get to where you want to be? You know, your aspirations are there, but you can't pay for them. So uh, particularly someone like an apprentice uh, in Maxie's case, you know, they don't get paid a lot of money. They're kind of relying on, you know, black economy or, or a second job. Um, to get by and and that is something that you know I think is interesting and that is a part of Australia like so many stories are you know white middle class upper class characters um, and and I'm not really interested in that I'm kind of interested in you know the the uh, people just trying to get through the day yeah there's a real sense of the dual economy has a survival element and you actually just have to live long enough to make it to that point where you can just then tick along Mm. Yeah, well, I think that's um, that's a big part of, of of Australian culture is that you know most of us kind of exist um, with almost kind of a lotto view of of life that you know we're going to win it big at some point you know either through you know the good job or you know an inheritance or something like that that's what's going to you know fuel our life um, and in the meantime we're just sort of going to our day jobs and trying to do the best we can mm. so yeah so. We can't. Well, I mean, I, I can't spoil anything about the driving narrative and the the evolving turf war. So I want to think about how the characters then actually make this real and make this interesting. And as you said, we can't go past Maxie. He's almost a Falstaff as he plays both the fool and the sage with his ability to kind of cut through with these comments. And he evokes paternal feelings in Lockie, who is also trying to deal with his own daddy issues. There must be a joy in writing a character like Max. Uh, look, Max is, yeah, he's a lot of fun. Um, and the the trouble with Maxie is that he wants to kind of tell his own stories. A lot of the time you're actually pulling him back and, um, you know, not kind of giving him so many, you know, great long spiels about his, you know, thoughts on life and the world. Um, and he, he is, he's a foil and he's quite, you know, he's a lot of fun. And it's kind of interesting that people really do, you know, the one one question I'm always asked is, you know, who would play Lockie? And the other one is, you know, what's Maxie doing? Um, so, yeah, he's, I, I have a, a great softness for, uh, for Maxie. 
So I want to then, I want to dig just a little bit deeper and hopefully not too far, but you've got a storyteller in a book that is itself a story and you're a storyteller. Maxie's not you, I get the sense. But I wonder, is Maxie kind of, and as a frame of reference, is he sort of a Deadpool-esque fourth wall breaker for you? Um, Struck sort of midway through the book, he's, he's talking about Lockie. And he says, it's his story. He's right. I should just sit and listen. And I just had this sense that Maxie actually knows he's in a, to- he's in a story. He's in a tall tale. And he's, he's trying to get, get to the front of the stage, but he knows that's not his place. Whether I'm right or wrong, is it useful to have a character that can explore outside the realm of what you're actually doing? Uh Look, I never really thought of it that way, but yeah, definitely. I mean, I think that, you know, breaking the fourth wall is always interesting in drama. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not always successful, but it's always a kind of, you know, something interesting happens when it does take place. Um, and I think it's more, yeah, in my head, I'd, I'd always seen Maxie as being more just aware of the world. Um but yeah, it's an interesting take. I, I'll have to probably think about it a bit more to give you a better answer. <laughs> the, uh, I had that idea. That's 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 on page one hundred and thirty-four. So we're not even halfway through yeah. the story. Uh, but then just it, it just kept being reinforced by the way Maxie could pop up and do some just seemingly strange things that both fit and don't fit. Like we know he's struggling, but then we meet him dumpster diving, and we get a real sense of of where he's at. But then he also has a sense that there's an environmental conscience to that. He is able to do things with um, the with Terry that Lockie just can't fathom. He can't get his head around it. Almost like Maxie's been reading the book and knows that <laughs> there's not there's not that much to fear because Terry's a character in a story who has to ha- he has to run out his own plot. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, I'm I'm completely wrong, but it's also an interesting take. And this is something that you do in Hiding to Nothing. You give us just such a, a brilliant, interesting take on crime uh, and it's not procedural. It's a very different take. And there are so many ways to do crime. And I wondered, because there was... We love crime. Mm. There was a there was an Australia Council 2016 report. It was called Reading the Reader. And it found that crime, mystery, thriller type of things, this is the most popular category for readers in Australia. So you're, you're a, a fan as well as a reader and a producer of so much brilliant crime. Um, do you have any insights on why we love this genre so much and what we're looking for in it? I think we're looking for reassurance. I think that's what crime really gives you. It's sort of, it reassures you that the bad guys get caught and that justice is seen to be done or that, you know, the um, people who are like Lockie and maybe made a bad decision will be looked after. Um, and I think that that's kind of something that's, you know, the world is becoming more uncertain and we, we really can't trust the institutions that we have in the past. And so, you know, reading a crime book where you know it's all going to work out in the end. That is such an interesting <laughs> answer considering you have called this book Hiding to Nothing, <laughs> which would seem to imply that even when we lose, we're screwed. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have even, to when let... <laughs> we, even when we win, we, we're screwed is what I meant to say. <laughs> yeah, I, um, yeah, it's probably... <laughs> little bit darker than um what i was what i was aiming for but yeah that is you know that's kind of also you know in a story sense you know Lockie kind of has to you know learn his lessons but kind of end up where he had where he started with each story for, for the a series to work and that's mm-hmm. kind of the the model that um you know 
a crime series works on. So, you know, that's probably where, you know, hiding comes from. But, you know, the real kind of challenge is coming up with titles that have nothing at the end of the, the phrase. So. Oh, and so we have, I'm speaking, I'm speaking with Andy Muir. We are discussing his second novel, Hiding to Nothing. Um, Something to Nothing did amazingly well. I have, a, I have a feeling that Hiding to Nothing could see itself on a Ned Kelly um and Nick Kelly list as well. <laughs> and he's introduced the game, Guess the Next Title with Nothing. And I just, just quickly, I invented this game about 30 seconds ago. Excellent. <laughs> um, I, I have to assume that Mark Knopfler appears in the third book and it's called Money for Nothing. That's very good. You're right on the money. (laughs) (laughs) Need more books with Mark Knopfler in them. Yeah. Um, Well, I always think, you know, more sax in music, it's always better. Yeah, yeah. mm. (laughs) This is shaky ground. Uh, That's it for this great conversation with Andy Muir. Andy's new novel is Hiding to Nothing, and it's out now from a firm press. Great Conversations is recorded on Gadigal land of the Eora Nation at 2SER's Broadway Studios in Sydney, Australia. The show is produced and presented by Andrew Popel. To keep up with the latest books, writing and literary culture, follow us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. Just look for at Final Draft 2SER and click subscribe in the podcast app. There'll be a new Great Conversation for you every week. My name's name's Andrew Popel and I'll be back next week with more Great Conversations from Final Draft.